Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. <clears throat> Thank you for sliding to church. Uh, there's backsliding and there's front sliding. So uh, thank you for sliding forward. And uh, uh, very, very grateful for you. This is a, <laughs> what a day. But uh, in Jesus' name. And um, I want to give you an update on Brother Mitchell. Brother Mitchell's surgery was a, a great success. And the uh, the... Doctors told Sister Mitchell last night that we're a little short-staffed, but if it was morning, uh, we would have him walking right now. And so uh, that's just a great... Great. <laughs> Amazing. And it... Uh, I, I, because of what I'll teach for the next couple of weeks, it's very, very, very um, close uh, to my heart. And uh, so I thank all of you for being here, and I welcome all of you that are watching online. And uh, just this past week, again, uh, uh, I was told of a group of people that long way away from here, but they watch this thing consistently. So you just never know where it goes. Bible talked about a bird of the air will carry it. Well, uh, <clears throat> right now, I guess the bird is the internet. So, uh, but we're grateful that this is not just limited to this room, but that it goes so many different places. For the next four weeks, I am going to teach you on the heart. And um, I guess this whole process began <clears throat> with money. I, uh, I read this verse, it's in Proverbs 22 and verse six. It says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when he is old, uh, he will not depart from it. Now, if you're Pentecost in experience and apostolic in lifestyle, um, <clears throat> that is a verse that has been latched on to many, many times. And basically, we take that to mean, you know, um, teach them about Jesus' name, baptism, and necessity of being filled with the Spirit and, and living for God and all that goes with that. And I, I suppose you could take this verse and use it, but what um, interested me was the context. Listen to the very next verse. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So I think, just judging from the context, this is not a verse that's encouraging us to teach our children about Jesus' name baptism. I think... This is a verse that's instructing us to teach our kids about how to handle money. And um, so I started thinking about that, you know, what, what, what really, what does the Bible have to say about what's, what's rich and what, what, what is poor? And um, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory and lots of verses like that. Jesus Christ died penniless and naked on a, on a cross. But would anyone deny he was the wealthiest person that's ever been on this planet? So <clears throat> that got me started thinking, well, you know, here's the world's opinion of wealth and poverty. What does the word say about wealth and poverty? And it's totally different. 
And that morphed into what really was a life-changing experience to me when I started studying about uh, death and life. Because in the Bible, uh, if you've been here for any length of time, I invariably get sidetracked with it. I, I try not to, but it's so real to me and it was such a, a, a revelatory experience with me at, that whenever I travel and speak, usually I'll, if I haven't, I'll share that with an audience because to many people, you know, uh, living is, is, you know, getting a paycheck and having vacations and planning for retirement and having vacation days. But in, in the word, um, death is not a hole six feet in the ground. Life in the word is Jesus Christ and death is sin. That's why you can be dead before you die. That's why the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sin. And so, so the rich and the poor thing is morphed and evolved into an understanding of what real life and real death was. And um, I, 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 it, 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 drove me to this concept. And, and I'm, I'm not smart enough to think of all this stuff on my own, but it's, you know, people talk about self-made men, self-made women. There's no such thing as a self-made man. You are, we are the sum total of the people that we have interacted with through our life. And I, I forget who said it first. Um, it's like John F. Kennedy, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can... He, he wasn't the first one to say that. He was quoting someone. And so um, I, um, I, I read something where a, a man said, everyone is in some way my teacher and me in some fashion their student. And um, so I, the, what I'm doing for the next couple of weeks is, is the sum total of, of, a lot of a lot of reading and a lot of study and some of it's original with me and others are things I've gleaned from other sources. But I, I want to teach you for the next four weeks and the beginning of this year about the heart. And, uh, or I should say hearts. Because um, what the Bible calls rich and poor is not what this world calls rich and poor. And what the Bible calls life and death are totally different than what the world refers to. And uh, the scripture talks a lot about the heart. And, and uh, um, it has nothing to do with the heart. Uh, you have a physical heart and then you have that, that other heart. Because the word says, out of the abundance of the heart. And, and that what, what I want to talk to you about is that that invisible part of you that philosophers and poets and, and preachers refer to, that, that thing that, that was broken uh, when, when in fifth grade Bonnie Kosovic told me that she didn't like me anymore and she liked Brian Ferda. And um, uh, he was the baseball pitcher and uh, <clears throat> my heart was broken. And... Uh, or that part of you that swells with pride when, when your kids do something great. That, that thing that makes you nostalgic when you hear a certain song. That, that part of you, my, my sweetheart, is 
watching right now. And she told me yesterday that I was brilliant and uh, I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. it uh, I never get tired of hearing that. Uh, and to be fair, I'm also talking about that part of me that called the police on my neighbor because he left his old junkie car in the street for eight months in front of my house one time <clears throat> that just leaked oil. He had a garage, he had a driveway, but he decided to abandon his piece of garbage car in front of my house. And so uh, I called the cops on him. <clears throat> my heart, in short, that wonderful, mysterious, confusing part of us that enables us to love and to laugh and to be afraid and, and experience life. In that realm, in the realm of the heart, that's where relationships happen. And that's also the place where relationships are broken. Life can be hard on your heart. And uh, things happen that make us develop what I guess you could call an irregular heartbeat, an irregular rhythm. Most of them are very subtle, but with time, if they're not dealt with, they're gonna cause us to lose sensitivity and the inevitable pain and disappointment of life causes so many people to build up walls around their heart. If you leave them alone, they will last for your life. And the sad part is that after a while, we begin to accept that as normal. And people say, well, that's just the way that I am. So let me ask you a question. How's your heart? How's your heart? Not your career, not your family, not your finances. What about your heart? Chances are most people don't really stop to consider their heart. We've got, of course, bills to pay and meals to fix and things to repair and calls to return. And, and at the end of the day, you, like me, when someone says, how you doing? We just say, fine, fine. And, uh, but this is a different question. This is, this is a more important question. This is, uh, this is an awkward question. I suppose the reason is that <laughs> no one ever taught me how to monitor my heart. They just taught me how to behave. Regardless of what was going on in my heart, I learned very early that wrong behavior met with serious consequences. <laughs> my parents believed in spanking which is hillbilly speak for whooping. <clears throat> and uh, I learned very early how to sneak and hide. I learned and I saw so many friends get in trouble because they bragged and I didn't. I did stuff, uh, my, my thing wasn't alcohol, my, my, my thing wasn't drugs, my, my thing was not, uh, sexual issues. I was a pyromaniac. <clears throat> I loved fire. I still love fire. I burnt up so much stuff when I was a kid. 
when I one day finally admitted to my mother what I did, she just dropped her jaw and said, that was you? Yes. Because I, I learned to just, there were people that wanted to brag. I never did brag about it. I would just do it and just stand back and get a big kick out of people saying, oh, who did that? Who did that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned to cover my tracks. Pain, embarrassment, fines, spankings have been considered effective ways to focus attention on somebody's behavior. Doesn't work very good with prisons. Uh, just lock them up for years and many of them when they get out are doing the same stuff to get them back in there. Uh, consequently, we, we've become better at at monitoring our behavior than monitoring our hearts because good behavior gets rewarded. Uh, I am a professional Pentecostal. I, uh, I am paid to be good. Uh, I have learned over the years how to modify my behavior so that my reputation and my career isn't damaged. I've had some very dear friends go down in flame. They've lost their marriage. They've lost their ministry. Um, <clears throat> I've seen that and done best I knew how to make sure I didn't do that. You have learned to do the same thing. Uh, in almost all of your lives, there are things you can't do where you work. And if you do them, you'll be fired. So you... you Modify your behavior so you can keep the job. It isn't that you don't want to do them. <clears throat> there are people that you pretend to like. You don't. It, it's beneficial to you if you at least act like you like them. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's just been a couple of days since Christmas. We're buying gifts we can't afford for people that we don't like. Just so that <clears throat> whatever makes us look good. All of this pretending causes us to ignore the true condition of our heart. As long as you do the right thing and say the right thing, we are very tempted to believe everything's okay. Because when your public behavior becomes far removed from who you truly are in your heart, you're, you're getting set up to get in trouble. Eventually, your heart, the real you, will overwhelm all of your attempts to monitor and modify everything you say and do. And in a very short way, of you'll just lose it and do something stupid. And people will say, where did that come from? What is deep down in there will eventually work its way to the top. It will leak and leach into your words, into your action, into your character, and into the relationships that you have with other people. There was a great baseball pitcher here in Detroit. His name was Danny McLean. Ward. I was talking to somebody. Jeff Woodworth. The Lions. Did they win the Super Bowl? Or were in the Super Bowl? 1957. They, they haven't been in the Super Bowl since the day I was born. <clears throat> Whew. 
Detroit Tigers won the World Series in 1984. Had a baseball pitcher by the name of Denny McLean. Denny McLean won over 30 games in a year, in a season. Um, Justin Verlander, I remember, they were paying him $18 million a year, and the best he could do, I think, was he won 14 games in one season. You couldn't even afford Denny McLean today. Danny McLean, when he retired from Detroit Tigers, he owned this town. This town loved him. He bought something called the Peat Packing Company, which was a meat processing. Been in business for over 100 years, and they, of course, because they had managed it well, they had a very, very large pension fund to take care of the legacy cost of their former employees. That was a giant plum to be picked for Denny McLean. He stole all of it. Millions and millions and millions of dollars he stole. Uh, he bought airplanes and helicopters and a lot of property in Puerto Rico and on and on and on it went. And finally when it was discovered and uh, the, the company went bankrupt and Denny McLean went to prison. I, w I was living at 16 in Ryan and around the corner then was a 7-Eleven. The girls were still young. And... Uh, <clears throat> It was our custom, we would get a slurp on hot days. We went to 7-Eleven to get a slurp, and there he was, behind the counter. It was just the four of us in that room. When I locked eyes on him, he kind of drooped his eyes. He knew that I knew. And uh, the girls took their slurps and walked outside, and I'll never forget that amazing talent looking at me and said, you, you know who I am? I said, yes, sir, I, I got a pretty good idea. And uh, he said, I have a friend that owns this store. I just got out. This is the only place I could get a job. I did my best to try and encourage him. I invited him, of course, to come to church. But Denny McLean taught me a very powerful truth, that your talent can take you to a place where your character won't sustain you. That if you've put all of your eggs in that talent basket and have not taken time to develop your character, like so many people, we could name a lot of them, that talent took them to the pinnacle of success, but they couldn't stay there long because their character sabotaged everything about that. Uh, this is why I'm doing this, because if our heart remains unmonitored, whatever is growing in us, will worsen to the point that you can't contain it. And uh, you're going to damage relationships. So let me ask you again, how's your heart? How's your heart? Maybe you have noticed some things beginning to slip. Maybe you've so far been able to control your anger, but lately you, you crossed a line and it scared you. Someone gets a promotion, you should be happy for them, but instead they represent that person from your past who bought something that you couldn't afford, who, who, who won something that, that you wanted and now you resent them for it. And the crazy thing is, is that the people now don't know it and they don't understand what they did to offend you and they didn't do anything. They just are the latest face on something that happened in your yesterday. When some woman uh, can wear something that you can't fit into. And on and on I can go. You act like everything's okay. But it's not. 
These are symptoms of a deeper struggle. Your heart is under attack and you're losing. Cardiologists have something called an arteriogram. It's when they put dye in, in your vessels and that, that dye will migrate to blockages. And I, I, I was there when they did it with my father-in-law. And even though, of course, my eye is untrained, it was obvious to me where the blockage was. The problem is this. They, they, these people can treat blockages. They can put that bloom in there. They can put a stint in there. But, but the question is, where did the stuff come that created the blockage? Pain, loss of appetite, indigestion, nausea, insomnia. Those are just all symptoms. They're fruit, but they're not roots. They're what Jesus one time referred. It was, they're, they're waves, not the wind. They're the, they're, they're the effect, not the cause. And, and, and there's so many, I was reading about lymph glands one time and people that get Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma. Uh, the, the, the lymph glands in your body are amazing because they're not attached to one another. They, 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 they are not nerve endings. They, and yet they, they, they talk to one another. And to this day, physicians ha- don't know how lymph nodes talk to one another. But if you get cancer here, it, 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 it will be in, inside of your legs and, and, and on and on. It's just, it migrates and it morphs. And that the problem with that is that's, that's a symptom. It's not a cause. The cancer is coming from somewhere else and they can't locate that. And, and just as a natural heart attack can leave you to partial or even totally paralyzed and even dead, a spiritual heart has, has the ability to paralyze and kill relationships with people that you love and that love you. And so for the next couple of weeks, like an arteriogram, I'm going to poke around on us. I'm going to dig on us. But the Bible said, break up the fallow ground. And I, I, I want to deal with four primary enemies of the heart, four life blocking agents that I'm convinced destroy relationships and they destroy character and, and they even destroy faith in God. We're going to embrace four new habits. Three, three of them will be very familiar to you, but the, but the fourth one is probably gonna be unfamiliar to you. And, but if you will listen to me and embrace what I'm trying to get across to you in this opening month of this year, I, I believe our hearts can be healed. And there is a lot of evidence. See, you got gauges, you know, you got a physical gauge, you have a, 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 a heart gauge, you have a spirit gauge. You, 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 you can be in good physical shape, but something happens with your heart. It can affect your walk with God and it can affect you physically as well. And, and there's so much evidence to the fact that if, if you can get this thing that I'm talking about mended, it'll affect you physically as well. And, and, and I, I, if all this sounds too good to be true, let me, let me remind you, uh, this is what Ezekiel said, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. It's so real to me because of my friend, Brother Mitchell, who had heart transplant surgery yesterday and, and, and so many great stories that, that have come out of this and, and who knows where it will, where it will lead, but but it's just literally putting a brand, it's, it's like taking a nation out of a car and, and I don't know how to do that. Uh, but I, I'm amazed at people that can and, 
and they, 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 five hours they worked on him. I, I don't know how many vessels they connected. I don't know what they disconnected. It's just, just a giant maze and mystery to me, but my, my, my friend is, is breathing on his own right now and, and probably walking right now while I'm up here because someone took an old heart out and put a new heart in. But the Lord said, I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to take out that old stony heart and I'm going I'm to put a heart of flesh in you. I'm going to put something that's, that's sensitive, something, something that can feel. And, and, and you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that the new birth is just exactly that. It's the birth. It's, it's not the grown-up message. It's not the mature message. It's, it's, it's the beginning. It's the genesis. Just because Jesus moved in doesn't mean he has full access to our lives. Uh, People come to visit our house and, and my, my sweetheart, the, the man in the living room looks nice and the kitchen looks excellent. And, and of course the bathrooms are cleaned and she's got candles and, and it smells good, but don't go in our bedroom because so many times we are our closet. You just open a room, you just throw it all in the bed, shut the door. You know, don't just like when I was a kid, Fibber McGee and Molly's closet. It, don't, don't open that closet. All this stuff come out. And, and it, it's just, you know, like I was as a kid, you know, you, you, my neighbors, you, you go in the living room. And, but, 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 but man, don't go in the backyard because that's where the 58 Buick is without the tires on. It's sitting on concrete blocks. And that's where the 55 rusted barrel is where they burn the trash. And, and everybody's got dogs and dogs have chains and the chains drag all the grass away and it's just dirt and just come on into my life, Jesus, but you can't go in a backyard. There's just places that are off limits to him. And that's why as excited as we are about Jesus forgiving our past, isn't it amazing we're not always so willing to extend forgiveness to someone else? That's a heart thing. I don't have time to deal with this, but I'll give you the cliff notes. In Acts chapter 8, Philip went to Samaria. There was a great revival. They had healings. A lot of people were baptized. And it said there was this sorcerer, not a magician. We're not talking card tricks here. A sorcerer, someone that dealt with, with evil spirits. A sorcerer named Simon. And it says very specifically in the opening verses of that, that Simon also was baptized. And then it says, and they... Philip called for Simon Peter, who came from Jerusalem. And this is what it says. And when he prayed for them, you have to realize that the them is everybody else that's been baptized, including Simon the sorcerer. He's the them now because he's been baptized just like it. And when Simon Peter prayed for them, they were all filled with the spirit. For as yet he has fallen upon none of them. That's what it says. And so late in just a little while, Simon wants to purchase, you know, people say, well, nobody spoke in tongues there. This is a sorcerer. He saw something spiritual, something so arresting to him that he wanted to buy it. And, and this is what Peter said to them. Your money perishes with you. Watch, because your heart is not right with God. Wait a minute. This is a guy that's just been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. But his heart's not right. Why? Because it's the birth. I'm talking about growing up here. The Bible talks about Christ being formed in us. 
Strong meat belongeth to them who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. That's, if we're going to touch this city, we can't be running an adult daycare here. This has got to be godly men and godly women. Strong. Sermonettes create Christianettes. Strong preaching produces strong converts. I'm not here to pet and coddle you and what the Bible said, tickle your ears. Let's look at ourselves honestly in the mirror of the word and don't be what James said, for go our way and forget what manner of man we were. It's, this is, let's look at it because it's, I, I remember there, when, I, when I was young, there was a basketball player named Pete Maravich. His daddy, uh, they called him Prez. His daddy was the, the coach of the LSU basketball team and Pete they said everywhere he went, ever since he was a little kid, everywhere he went, he carried a basketball. And he wanted desperately to play on his father's basketball team and ultimately did. Um, this is, you're talking in the 70s here. We're, we're, we're 50 years removed from Pete Maravich's college career. And yet he averaged 45 points a game. And he, and he scored over 3,700 School baskets in his career, points in his career. To this day, no one's ever broken that record. This this kid was amazing. He 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 went to a summer camp, and and one of his 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 teachers was saying, "You need to throw the ball with both hands." And Pete said, "I want to be a millionaire, and they don't give you millions for two-handed safe passes." So he 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 perfected. He'd look you right in the eye and go wham like that, and he could throw the ball the entire length across the court with accuracy. And he, and he would throw it over his shoulder. He was, he was a showman and, 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 he, and people just came to see him and he, he revived basketball in many ways back then. And you know, if I, if I talk to people about Magic Johnson or, or MJ or, or whatever, it's just, they, they know who this is, but a lot of people don't know about this kid named Peep or Pistol Pete Maravich. And, and he had a, an amazing college career and a professional career and he, and he retired. And when he was 40, there, there's a, there was a great, before Russ Limbaugh, there was a guy by the name of James Dobson had the largest conservative, really the largest radio audience in the world. Forget about conservative, nobody was even close. And, 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 and James Dobson and a couple of his grandkids were playing a pickup game with Pete Maravich in his driveway and Pete just fell over dead. He was 40 years old. And people thought, this guy looked in perfect, perfect shape. But when they did the autopsy, most, most people have two carotid arteries. Pete only had one. And they, they never knew it. You know, it, it, it's just, he was gone. And it's, it, it is a fortunate person that can find out if they have a heart problem. Your, your heart will send you signals and we have to be careful that we reach for the remedy and, and, and that'll fix the source and, and not just the symptom. When I, when I was a kid, my grandmother had a, had a, a, a neighbor's name. I don't even know what his first name was. We just always called him Butter, Butter Rick. And, uh, and he was a police officer and he had, he, he, he was, he, he was, he had money, you know, and, and he was a, a bachelor. Uh, well, I don't know if he was a bachelor. He, he probably had been married at one time, but when I knew Butter, he, he, he was single and, and he, and he had money and he, and he had this apple tree, this giant apple tree in his yard. And, 
and every year it, it had a bumper crop of apples and butter could care less about apples. And that tree would just, these apples would fall and they'd be four to six inches deep all around the perimeter of that tree and, and apples of course rot. And then all the bees and the yellow jackets came and I would wait at the right time and I'd say, butter, you, you want me to take care of your apples? Yeah, Harold, I'd like it. And it was 20 bucks. And 20 bucks was a, was a fortune to me back then. And I still remember, I had dozens and dozens of wheelbarrows of mushy brown apples with bees and yellow jackets. And I would go to the edge of this hill and I'd dump them over. My, my dad saw me one time, he felt so sorry for me. He came and helped me scoop up apples. It was just, it was, it was a long, long, long job. And, and, and I, I, I think of that experience right now and, and, and pick them up, throw them over the hill, but that didn't fix the problem. Uh, we, we keep apologizing for things we say or do. If you don't leak the fruit that keeps cluttering up your life and the bugs and the bees that come, maybe it's time to cut down a tree. What, what, what's the source? What's the solution? And I mean, let's face it, we can't cut ourselves down. But, but am I talking to anybody here today that you're getting tired of people packing up and moving away from you because they're tired of the smelly fruit from your life? Let, let me try one more time. Have you ever said something and, and, and said, well, where, did, where did that come from? You know, you, you say something to someone and you go, oh, I'm sorry I didn't mean it. Of course you meant it. You're not sorry that, you're just sorry you said it but you've been thinking it for a long time. You, you got a huge nose. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Yeah, you did, dude's got a massive nose. You've just been thinking, oh, that's a big nose, it's a big nose, you know? Flip Wilson used, used to have Geraldine, the devil made me do it. You know, now there's an idea, blame it on somebody else. That, he's not the, all you gotta do is go to the first couple that ever lived on that planet and see how that worked out for them. Just keep passing the buck. My mom's watching right now. I love you, mom, but I still remember you rubbing zest soap on my teeth. I, I, it's Christmas, they watch Ralphie and his BB gun. Ralphie said a bad word. And his mom said, where did you learn that? And in his mind, he said, now my father worked in profanity the way Picasso worked in paints. My grandfather was a cusser, a great cusser. And as a kid, man, I would listen. He hated Notre Dame football. He hated him, man. And I would love to go to his house just to hear Grandpa cuss at Notre Dame. And I'd learn them words and I, you just can't be around. You're gonna take him out for a drive. And my mom heard me cussing. And she took zest soap, that blue green stuff, just rubbed it in my teeth, man. And I don't care how much you brush, man, it's just lousy. And you're puh, puh, puh. You know, <laughs> but my mom wasn't the first one to establish rules. <laughs> Thousands of years ago, religious leaders were making a career out of it. In fact, when, when Jesus had arrived, that, that, that these elders, it's, they had already added 500 different rules to the 10 commandments. You know, you could pick up your baby on the Sabbath day, but if your baby had a rock in their hand, that was work. And on and on I can go, all these, all these rules, and it's just, it, 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 its sole purpose was to keep people from breaking one of the commandments. 
Here's Matthew 15. It's Sabbath day. He and his disciples are walking through a cornfield. They're hungry. They're breaking ears of corn off and just eating corn as they go through the cornfield. They get on the other side and the religious leader said, hey, you're, you didn't wash your hands. He, huh? you, you call yourself a rabbi and your followers and you, you're eating with unwashed hands? Matthew 15 and two. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? This is one that, one that there's no 10 commandments that doubt, make sure you wash your hands. This is one of their extra rules. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. I mean, you're in the presence of the guy that can heal the sick, man. This guy can wake the dead and walk on water. And you're berating him for not washing his hands? He answered and said unto them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God with your traditions? He accuses them of breaking God's law in order to keep one of their own. And then he launches into this, this attack. This, this, is, this is what it says in the message in verse 18. What comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. The point is obvious. God is not nearly as interested about what goes in your mouth as about what comes out of it. Because he said, those things which proceed out of thy mouth come from the heart. And he literally said everything. And I'm going, everything? But listen, listen to the message in verse 19. It's from the heart that we vomit up evil arguments, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, lies, cussing. That's what pollutes. Eating or not eating certain foods, washing or not washing your hands. That's not the issue. It's what's coming out of that mouth because it's coming from your heart. And, and you know, obviously to Jesus, there's something deeper here than just your thought life. Listen to Proverbs 4. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Here, here's another translation. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Watch over it. Guard it. Monitor it. It's it, 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 it just, you know, we're, we're overcome with emotion and we say, boy, that, that really touched my heart. Have you ever heard or seen something that should have affected you and it didn't. And you're wondering, why? What's wrong with me? Men are so proud of the fact we don't cry like women. Is that a good thing? Is that even true? Jeremiah said, who can know the heart? It's a mystery. Which is all the more reason why we need to learn to monitor it. It's like, the seismic activity of a dormant volcano. If you, I, I've watched this Mount St. Helens so many times. They knew weeks before that thing was going to blow because they had all these gauges and monitors there and, and underneath they could, they could that rumble, that rumble. Just looked the same. Looked like a placid mountain that little wisp of smoke coming out of the top of it but down deep in it. And we, we can look so cool, calm, and collected, but inside we're like a volcano ready to explode. <laughs> Suddenly, one of your children's grades just drop off dramatically. Suddenly, out of nowhere, it seems like somebody gets a divorce. 
Jesus predicted that what originates in a secret place will not stay in a secret place. If it's done in secret, he said, it will be revealed and open. When I went to school in Houston, they had something, Atlanta has one too, but Houston was the first. They have something called the spaghetti bowl. It is uh, just a collection of, of roads and, and what a mess. The reason this is so personal to me is right smack dab in the middle there is where my engine blew up when I was in college and there was no medium to turn off onto. There was no side. I blocked thousands of cars for hours and they were not happy. <laughs> this is probably where my hatred for traffic comes from. Uh, but your and my, our heart is a hub just like this. Every day there's constantly things coming in and going out. And everything's fine unless you get stuck there between four and six. Because if you get there between four and six, you're not going, it's just a giant parking lot. And, and the, there's a delay between getting in and getting out. And that's what happens to us sometimes. Something gets into our heart and it doesn't come out until several years later. And it's been so, there's been a, this delayed sequence that we, we don't make the connection. Where did that come from? We, we're mad. We, I, I'm with my daughter. Oh, Ashley, I love you. But I read a book by Brill Bryson about walking the Appalachian Trail. It's a great book. Read it if you, Bill Bryson is, a, he's an atheist, but he's a great writer other than his concepts of God. And, uh, but he, he was on the Appalachian Trail six months and, and, and he, there was this woman that joined up with him and she drove him crazy for three weeks. And he said, I knew it was my destiny in life to spend a portion of my life with every stupid person on the planet. And I realized that I wasn't even going to be exempt on the Appalachian Trail. That's my experience on these roads around here. It, it, it's like a, I am destined to be behind the dumbest drivers in this entire area. And I'm behind one recently and Ashley and I are in the car and this lady's on her phone and it's red and then it's green and still green and she's oblivious. And my precious little daughter says, it's my dad's taxes that paid for this road. Get off of it. You don't belong on this road. This is his road. Hang up the phone, stupid. And I wanted to rebuke her and I realized it was just an echo. I'd heard somebody talk like that recently. Hmm. Hmm. You get mad, you don't know why. Not happy, can't find anyone to blame it on resentful to certain types of people and they've done nothing to deserve it and we get jealous and, and, and feel stupid about it but we don't know why and left unchecked, these, these things, these heart issues will wreck relationships. Maybe Jesus was right. Maybe all of that junk we don't like about ourselves does come from the heart because life, ladies and gentlemen, is not a level playing field. Life is not fair. That's not fair. Of course it's not fair. God is just, but life is not fair and never will be. 
and, and, and everybody, everybody experiences hurt and rejection and, and some more than others. How, how many times in pastoring have I heard, I'll never trust another man. I, I, I don't need anybody. He wounded me. She broke my heart. Or, or when we talk about people we have hurt, it goes like this. Well, they're hard hearted or they've got walls or he has trust issues. And uh, boy, that's a cold woman, Pastor. And, and when you get hurt and not taught how to process hurt, you develop your own way of how to cope it. And, 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 and why the natural response to pain is just to stop it, prevent it. I, my, I love my dad. My dad had, my dad had no, 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 no leadership. He didn't have a father. His dad was an alcoholic. I, I loved Harry, but he was a yeller. He yelled. So when I got married, I yelled. And I, and I still remember my wife very calmly telling me, sweetheart, we're, we're, not, we're not living like this in this house. You're yelling about everything. Our kids aren't going to know the difference between robbing a bank and spilling a glass of milk. You just yell. And she was right. She was right. It's just, you get hurt. The natural response is, let's stop the pain. My wife told me, I think it was yesterday or the day before, she said, I want you to teach me how to use the saws in your shop. And then she said, but I, I'm afraid of them. But she said, I know if I could learn to use them, I, I would enjoy building stuff. And I said, well, I got something to confess to you. Every time to this, I cut my finger off years ago in Atlanta. Every, every time I turn on a router, every time I, I do a table saw or a bandsaw, I have the shiver goes up my spine. I said, I'm afraid of them too. It's just, we, we, we go to extreme measures to stop pain. I remember, I remember my first daughter, Brittany, there, right there. I, I remember her getting hurt for the first time in church. And she stared at me with this look of pain and confusion because she had never experienced that in church before. And I just remember her crying and me holding her. For many people, there is no one to hold them. They just carry it around, determined, I'm not going to let that happen. I remember being teased for years about being in church. I could be wrong about this, but I, I, I don't believe I owned a pair of jeans or wore a pair of jeans until the last six months I was a senior in high school. I wore dress pants and, and nice shirts and um, I had a wonderful pastor, but he was hard. If you think I'm hard, man, you should have been raised in the church when I was raised in because you couldn't do anything with the world. And I wanted to play baseball, but I wasn't allowed. And I wanted to be on the golf team, but I wasn't allowed. And, I, I, and this, they made fun of me. I had this kid named David Bennett who for years, I mean years, just tormented me. I still remember being in Woodshop and the bell rang and I went to get my books to go to the next class, but I couldn't move my books because David Bennett had opened up my book and drove a, a, a spike through my books into the wood of the top. And I had to somehow find a crowbar to pull the nail out of my books. And I knew I would be late and I was. And the teacher 
rebuked me and he just smirked. I was using a hand plane on a piece of oak. It's just, I'm 64, I still remember this. It's just, I was planing this piece of wood and David Bennett came and ripped that plane out of my hand and said, give me that. And I just remember very calmly just undoing that vice, taking that big piece of oak and I hit him the side of the head with everything I had. And just cold cocked him and knocked him on the floor. Just, and the teacher came over and I knew I was going to be expelled. And to my delight, the teacher said, that was great, Hoffman. Wow. I wondered how long you were going to put up with that guy. I said, you're not going to expel me? He said, no, man, that was great. Hmm. He never bothered me again. (laughs) And I, I, but it, that wasn't about a plane. That was years of stuff boiling inside of me that I never told anybody about. I could have killed him. Probably go to jail today in school for doing something like that. But he deserved it. I really enjoyed it. Even to this day, I remember that man. Oh. <laughs> I, I won the first two fights I ever had in school. I had two fights in first grade and third grade. I won them both. I was, I was uh, you know, I was 2-0, and oh, man. And then I got in a fight with a kid named Duke Mazingo, and I won. But Duke had a sister, man, that was in sixth grade, and she was huge, and she beat the fire out of me. And it was so embarrassing to get beat up by a girl. But she was huge. And she just literally picked me up and threw me in a ditch. It was embarrassing. So I used a piece of oak the next time. (laughs) Just stuff boiling inside of you. It's just, you know, hard issues are going to make intimacy hard to maintain because just the word intimate means you know and you are being known. And, And that's a very bad word for people who, who don't want to be found out or to be discovered. And, and so you, you, anybody gets, I, I remember a man that I, I did, I don't know how many camps and conferences I did with him. He was this brilliant preacher. And I just wanted to be friends with him because his approach to the Bible fascinated me. And I, I made a concerted effort to call this guy, but my calls were never returned and anytime I was around them, let's go out and have dinner and he would cancel at the last minute and, and it was like, what is wrong with me that this guy doesn't want to be around me? What, am, what, do, I, do I have bad breath? Is there, is, is there something repulsive about me that this guy doesn't want? And then he came out. All of the secret life that he had and he lost everything. And when I look back on it now, I realize he didn't want me getting too close. Did you ever be around someone? Renee's grandfather was like that. He, every day we ever spent in his house, Renee always got up early. I never did get up early because I traveled for years and I read at night because I, I wanted it to be quiet when I studied and there was just too much stuff going on in the day and I would read most of the night 
and go to bed at six in the morning and sleep till one. And that's just what I did because I was a bat. And, and, I, and, 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 and I, I married Renee and she's up early and her family's up early and I'm in her grandpa and grandma's house and it's five o'clock in the morning and it's a little house, but you could hear that old man's prayers coming through the ductwork in that house. And, and I'm laying there and I'd only been asleep for a couple hours, but I felt like a dirty, filthy rat. And here I'm sleeping while that old man's praying. And you get around him and you just almost feel unclean. It's like, this is like Jesus, you know? It, it's just, I'm not the first one to say this, but listen to me again. Hurt people, hurt people. People that have been hurt, hurt others. So I'm gonna teach you about four monsters. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Each of these four are fueled by one dynamic. They create a debt-debtor relationship. If you owe somebody money, I, I learned a hard lesson years ago pastoring in the church. I, 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 we don't loan money anymore. We give money away when we can. And... Uh, probably shouldn't say that because uh, that'll go far and wide. But I learned a long time ago that if as a church we would loan money to people and they couldn't pay it back quickly or ever, when they were in a room with me, they felt guilty. And I wanted them to let it, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it, but it was a big deal because it was, they were in debt to me and to this church. If you've ever been in a relationship where you owe some money to someone and you're in that room, you feel that. And many times avoid that person. And, and, and you, you think it's the one that, that, that owes the money that feels powerless, but not necessarily. My wife and I moved into a house a year ago and it wasn't very long. You know, I have a wood shop in the basement, had ceiling towel, suspended ceiling. I went to the woodshop and the ceiling had fallen down. And I looked at it and the ceiling towel was all wet. So I got new ceiling towel and I put it up there. And a couple weeks later, all of a sudden I realized there was all this water in the ceiling. And when I took it down, I realized to my horror, it was underneath the shower in the master bathroom, which is all tiled now. How are you gonna tear the whole thing apart again? And it had a leak. And I owe the builder $900. And for 11 months, the builder said, you owe us $900. You know us $900. You owe us $900. And I told him, when you fix my shower, I will give you your $900. I've given you thousands and thousands and thousands. You really think I'm going to get cheap on you now for 900 bucks? And of course, the shower is still not fixed. And they called Friday, we want our money. We want our money. And what I'm trying to show you is even though I owed them, they felt up, they felt powerless. How long is this guy going to ignore us? So it's not just always the person and I will write the check tomorrow and pay them off. And even though they don't deserve it, just to shut them up. But what I'm trying to show you is sometimes it's the debtor that feels powerless. And sometimes it's the one that, that the debt is owed to feels powerless. There, 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 there's, listen to me. There's only two ways to deal with these, guilt, 
anger, greed, and jealousy. There's only two ways to deal with them. Number one, you either pay the debt or number two, somebody's got to forgive the debt. That's it. That's the power of Calvary. Because you and I owed a debt we couldn't pay. But he paid it off. That's the power of the gospel. He canceled the debt that was against you and me. And when you get, and, I, and as we go through these things, I'll show you that, 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 that every wrong that we commit is an, is an act of theft. If I steal something from you, I owe you. And, and, and so someone that, that is full of guilt is constantly dealing with, I owe them, I owe them, I owe them. Have you ever heard anyone say, I, I owe them an apology? The, uh, uh, the, the man that abandons his family, one of the, one of the most wrenching things to go through as a pastor. And, and it didn't happen to me, but I saw it and I've seen it happen on repeated occasions. I, I've seen men abandon their family and, and, and they, they, when they do, they, they have in effect stolen something from every member of the family. You, you've stolen that woman's marriage. You, you, you've robbed her of security. You, 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 her reputation. What did I do that this guy didn't, didn't want to stay with me? You, 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 you've stolen being, the, the, the children no longer have a father. They, 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 you, you, they, I've seen these men rob them of Christmas and vacations and dinners and on and on I can go. And, and in the beginning, that guy just thinks, you know, I got out of it. Look what I've gained. But, but I've seen, I, I, remember, I remember this is such a, such a personal thing to me, but I, I remember when Kathy Gallagher first came here to church and Jameson was just a baby and Cassandra was just a little girl and, and Kathy came into church and, 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 and the man that was the father of these children and, 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 and he, he worked in Australia and he made a lot of money, but he wouldn't claim any of it in America. I still remember when the friend, the, the friend of the court awarded Kathy $12 a week. I still remember that to raise it. And I remember her in my office sobbing with Jameson in her arms. And she said, I didn't go to college. I don't have a degree. I'm not marketable. How am I going to raise these kids on $12 a week? And I still remember saying, Kathy, trust me. Trust me. These kids are not going to stay infants forever. They're going to grow up. And you watch. They're going to make you proud one day and God's going to take care of you. And I remember that man, he's died so I could say this and I don't mean to offend anybody, but this is the truth and I lived it and nobody can deny it. I still remember going to that man and said, listen to me, you think you got out of your obligation to take care of a boy and a girl and a woman, but I'm warning you, you're going to die a lonely old man one day and you're going to want this relationship back. And that is exactly what went on because they walk away from a home and a family and obligations and pressures only to experience a brand new set of obligations and pressures because divorce will fix that problem, but it creates a whole host of others. And, and, and I, I've seen this thing happen. I, and these men in time, they want to get back, but you're, you're never going to get those vacations back. You're never going to get those dinners. You're never getting those birthdays back. They're gone. I remember 
taking my kids to Washington, D.C., to Smithsonian Institution. They, it was hot, and, and, and I shouldn't have done it. I wanted to go to Smithsonian. My kids did, did whatever, but I, I, it, was, it was Bush Sr. was the president, and, and then, of course, his son. And There's only been two father-son presidential teams in the history of America, John Adams and his boy, John Quincy, and then, of course, George Bush and George W., and as the custom was back then, John Adams went to Paris to be with Franklin and Jefferson. Brilliant guy, taught himself how to speak French on the boat over to Paris. Just had a French book and an English translation of that book and used those two books and taught himself French on the boat going there. He was there for three years and he invited his boy, send, send my boy, his boy was five sent him over to spend a year with his dad in Paris. And as the custom was back then, they kept journals. And when I was at the Smithsonian, they still had their journals, the journal of the dad, John Adams, and his son, John Quincy, turned to the very same page of the very same year. And the dad's journal said, I took my boy fishing today. It was a wasted day. I got nothing done. But in the boys' journal, it said, I went fishing with my dad today. It was the greatest day of my life. And I realized that quality time is not something that I, as a parent, get to determine. It's up to that child to determine whether it was a good day or not. I would tell stories, and my daddy would sit right there, and, and he'd say, that didn't happen, that didn't happen, that didn't happen, but it did happen. And I would tell stories about us being in the woods and other stuff. Ah, he's making that up. He was just kind of embarrassed because I was being given personal stories. But it really did happen. And he really didn't remember it. But I did remember it because it was a quality experience with me. And, and, and it's, just, it's, it's just angry people don't reserve their angry for just one person. They're, I, somewhere between the North Pole and South Pole, not in this church, but I'm dealing with something right now. And, and it's so frustrating to me because I, I, I've tried, God knows I, I've really tried to fix this person, but they're so angry. And the last time I called them, it was just two hours of just ranting and raving. And, 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 and I, I wrote a lot of these notes years ago, but in preparing for this lesson today, I realized that that, 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 that anger, somebody hurt this person somewhere a long time ago. And in my effort to try and fix it, they won't let me fix it. Because if I fix it, it's going to turn that spotlight back on them and they realize I'm the one with the issue, not anybody else. And it's just, we're going to have communion in a few moments. And I'd like these ushers to get, prepare this crowd. I remember being in Atlanta and teaching about blind spots. I believe that everybody has, just like your mirrors. Um, I, I, I got a new vehicle a year ago and I, every, it's got a special mirror that tells me if someone's in my blind spot. And it's already saved me a lot of grief. Not only do you have mirrors in your blind spots in your mirrors, you have, you have blind spots in your life. I remember riding with this man that I knew in Atlanta and he said, okay, Harold, what's my blind spot? And I said, no, 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 I, I don't want to go there right now. He said, no, really, I'm honest. 
you, you, I trust you. What's my blind spot? And I said, okay, you're a litter bug. And he said, what? I, I said, you throw stuff out of your car window every time we go to McDonald's or Burger King. You throw the bag and the cup out of your car. That bug, you're a litter bug. Somebody else got to pick up your trash. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. It's a blind spot. So I'm going to give you a little homework assignment if you're up to it. And again, you can't do this with someone unless they really love you. And quote, unquote, you love them. But if possible, go to someone and say, do I have an anger issue? And then watch them uh, uh, hem and haul around, not one to answer you right away. That, that's, that ought to tell you something. And when they talk to you, if they tell you you do, and you feel this volcano starting to boil inside of you, that ought to tell you something. That's not something wrong. You're monitoring your heart. You're realizing, I got something I need to work on right here. That's positive. I was talking to someone around the altar just recently, and they said, Pastor, I am under such attack. And I said, good. And they said, what? I said, don't you realize the enemy wouldn't be fighting you if he wasn't losing control over you? You've got something powerful going on in your life right now. And they lit up and said, yeah. You know, pastor, I'm going through hell. Well, don't stay there. Don't stop now. Keep going. It's just, it's just. Uh, if you discover that you've got anger in your heart, let me tell you this. It will not come as a surprise to those that know you well. You see, the only one getting duped here is you. These are like roaches. These monsters of guilt and anger and jealousy. They're, they hate the light. And that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. We're going we're to dig around in our spirit. Why? Because we're preparing this is not just about building another piece of a building over here in the grass. That, that, that's not what we're dealing with here. The whole purpose of that is so that we could minister to more people. But what good is it going to do us if we have a brand new church over there and the people are not prepared to minister to the people that God gives us? We're, we're, we, this, is, this is a whole church thing. Preacher, people, shepherd and sheep. Time to step up into it that this would be the greatest year of personal growth we've ever experienced together. Together. Every one of us going to another level. Why? Because we're willing to be honest with ourselves. Remember, Jesus said the God of this world has come and he found nothing in me. Why? Because he's light. One scripture said there's no shadow in him. So if he's light, then there's no roaches there. There's no places for the bugs and the, the, to hide. And that's what the word will do right now. It'll shine on our spirit. Did you ever go in a sheep motel and you turn on the light and a roach, you go, Bruh. I have. Go to step on and one said, I'll have you know my mom lived here, my grandma lived here, and I intend to raise my kids here. I remember sleeping in a church one time in Indianapolis. I thank God I was alone. I wasn't married. And I felt something tickling my chin. And I, I woke up and there, there's these roaches on my chest tickling my chin with their antennas. Thank God Renee wasn't there. She would have freaked out, man. 
All you got to do is turn on the lights. Woo! It's the same way with your spirit. Turn on the light. Let the power of the word just illumine your soul. And there's stuff that'll skedaddle for cover. Powerful. Because you don't want to stay the way you are. Bible talked about a man and said he casting away his garment. He came to Jesus because that garment was his identity of being the beggar that he was. Please don't allow your past to become your identity. I've talked with people through the years. Thank you, Pastor, for letting me come. I, I just got out of prison. Thank you, Pastor, but, but I just got a divorce. Pastor, I just declared bankruptcy. That's not your name. Don't let your problems become your identity. Amen. Stand with me. Stand with me. There's a simple little piece of plastic on the top. It's tear the plastic away and don't open the cup. Just if you can, tear the plastic away and and that way you'll have just this wafer. And then you can take the other part and pull it off. And there's there's the Jesus got all his disciples together. And he said, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. So I'd like you to put this in your mouth. And he said, this is my blood that's going to be shed for your redemption. And he said, every time you do this, I want you to remember the body of Christ. Not just the guy hanging on the middle cross, but what's the body of Christ today? Your brother and your sister. Now I'll show you later on as we go into these lessons. There are people that have debtor relationships with people. You know, you owe me, I owe you. And there are people that have relationships like this with God. Some people know they owe God. Other people believe God owes them. But that's the dynamic. Now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's the very first service of this new year. So we come before you right now, Lord, with a a humble heart. Dear Jesus, I'm going to do the best I know how to do, Lord, to stir up the fallow ground. I'm going to do the best I can, not just with this crowd, but with this preacher. I, I do not want to be the man I've been. I know I can be a better husband. I know I can be a better father. I know I can be a better soul winner. I know I can be a better Christian. I'm not asking you to make me a better preacher. This is about relationships, Lord. Something between me and my sweetheart, me and my daughters, me and my brothers and my sisters, me and these sons and daughters in the gospel that I have in this church. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, I want this church to have a worldwide footprint. 
I want us to affect things in our backyard and a long, long, long ways away. I've just lived long enough to know, God, anybody that I respect has got brutus, bruises. They've got issues in the past that they overwhelmed. And there are people in the test right now, but we've got to pass the test to get the testimony. So I'm asking you, Lord, right now to hear our prayer. Father, I don't want anything in my heart between you and me. I don't want anything in my heart between my spouse and I, between my children and I. I don't want anything between my brother and I. I don't want anything, Lord, to be a wedge and to be a hurdle. I want these relationships dealt with. And I don't want to be angry. I want to be jealous. I don't want to have to deal with greed. and Oh, Lord, there are these monsters, God, that just I've seen eat up and consume people, good people, but they just never resolve the issues that were underlying in their spirit. If by chance there's someone in this room other than me, Lord, that have got things that still need to be dealt with and addressed, then we come to you openly and honestly. We're not going to hide anymore. We're not going to ask you, Father, to chase us down. I don't ever want you to ask me, where are you? I don't ever want to be Adam and hiding behind a bush or behind a stump. I want to just be as open and honest with you as I possibly know how to be. I'm asking you, God, that from the beginning, the genesis of this year, let this be a time, God, that we circumspectly look at our heart, that we look at it very honestly and very truly and, and decide there are things that I need to resolve and there are issues that I need to address. Father, there are people watching us from God knows how many miles away and I want to do my best to love them, but I did not shed one drop of blood for them. You love these people more than I could ever, ever, ever try to love them. But if somehow you can use these lessons to go through that, that, that lens and somehow through that antenna and splash this thing to the four planet corners of this earth to find somebody that I'm talking to right now that just got issues in their life that need to be addressed. And if they don't, the marriage won't last. The family won't survive. Survive. They're just going to full go down in flames. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you for the talents that you put inside of us. But I don't want to just major on my talent and my gift. I want to major on my character. I want to be an honest man. I want to be a, sp I want to be a pure man. I want to go to the temple. I want to walk up the hill. But you said nobody who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, but he that's got clean hands and a pure heart. For every marriage that's under attack, for every family, Lord, that's in the crosshairs of the enemy, we come against them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are going to do more than use your name and your word. We're going to use these lessons to confront these things that have been hidden for way too long and to be brutally honest with ourselves and say, Jesus, thank you for showing me what I am and also showing me what I can be. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and call it done. Now let's thank him together. Praise God. 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 Praise God.